As a Houstonian, when you call 911 in your time of need, you want the fastest response times possible. But the Houston Police Department response times are the slowest they've been in decades. Mike Morris is an investigative reporter at the Houston Chronicle, and he joins me to break down his latest investigation on the factors that are impacting slower response times, why certain neighborhoods are seeing disproportionately slower times, and what HPD is doing to fix these issues. It's Monday, July 17th, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramsnali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Mike, welcome into CityCast Houston. How are you this morning? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know you're getting a lot of stories and you're investigating a lot of different things, but before we jump into this story, I want to know what was the moment or was there a story or something that you came across that made you want to investigate the HPD response time? Good question. Um, I was working on a different story last fall and I was trying to illustrate um, while the city is prioritizing investments in these particular economic development zones that I was writing about last year. Um, you know, basic services are in some cases uh, falling behind. Um, you know, re recycling pickup has been chronically delayed and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, I wonder how response times are doing um, for police and fire. I knew that um, the HPD headcount had been kind of slowly declining. So I thought I would go ahead and ask for those records. And and that was that was the case. They, they had been rising. That was just an initial kind of basic data request last fall. Yeah. And then that data, what did you end up finding? I know the story explains it all, but just on a high level, some of the basic findings that you came across. Yeah. So I, I was surprised at what we found, uh, to be honest. I thought there would be kind of up and down fluctuation over time. But um in essence, over the last two decades, um, two decades plus, in some cases, um, HPD has been slower to respond to essentially every type of call to which officers are dispatched. There are basically five priorities of uh, differing severity. Officers are the slowest to respond to priority one calls since the 1990s. Those are when a life-threatening event is in progress. The city sets a goal of responding to those calls in four to six minutes, and the department has actually exceeded six minutes in each of the last two years and is on pace to exceed it again in 2023 so far. Um, priority two responses when a, a property crime is in progress or uh, someone reports that a life-threatening event just happened, um, those are nearing the top of the eight to 12-minute response goal range. But while those two have risen, priority three, four, and five calls, mostly related to property crimes, have really jumped. You know, some of those were typically 20, 30 minutes in many years over the last decade or so. Now it's often more than an hour. Wow. So why are response times down, right? Staffing isn't the only issue because there have been times in previous years, as you pointed out in your story, where HPD was less staffed than today but they still made it work. Is there something happening? That particular question on, on staffing is a difficult one. And if, frankly, it's one I'd like to dig into more because the, um, they, they don't appear to keep very clean records on exactly how many people are in what they call the call for service loop, 
at any given time. HPD has roughly 5,000 officers. Um, about half of them are assigned to patrol divisions. Um, now, not all of them patrol. Uh, many of those are not officers, they're supervisors. And what we learned in this story that I'd like to better quantify in the future is that a large portion of the officers who, have, who are of the right rank that they could be patrolling, they're not supervisors, many of them don't patrol. They're assigned to a patrol division, but they're actually assigned to a specialized unit that is trying to, um, you know, for instance, take a, a burglary ring off the street. It's not that that doesn't have value, but they aren't answering 911 calls that are coming in all the time. Um, some of the folks we talked to at the police union said that, in their view, HPD probably has too many of those specialized units um, and, and should work to return more people into the call for service loop. Um, it may not be quite that simple, but that's kind of where that conversation is. Yeah, that was one thing that stood out. The other thing that stood out to me was our resident ratio rank with officers, right? And how it compares to other cities. What did you find with that data in terms of where we rank with uh, resident and officers? Yeah, the, the per capita data, I, I guess um, people who look at criminal justice trends tend to rate it as uh, officers per 1,000 residents. And so Houston mm -hmm. has been at roughly... 2.2 officers per 1,000 residents for most of the period that we studied. They used to be higher. We used to have more police in the 90s, uh, the late 90s in particular. In fact, it's ahead of, of many peer cities. Um, the FBI keeps this data. It was the most recent they have is from 2019. And New York, Chicago, Philadelphia have much higher ratios, but among you know, uh, southern and western big cities. Houston is in line with Dallas, just barely below, and is uh, a little bit below Los Angeles, and otherwise is ahead of most of its other peer cities. With the amount of officers that we have and the priority calls that you talked about a little bit earlier, where do traffic stops uh, fill in the gaps? Like, are they part of the patrolling unit? Is that a separate group? Because it seems like there's a lot of cops out there, right, for traffic stops. Is that hampering the response time a little bit? I would love to dig into that. That's a great question. And it's something we talked about in our reporting. Um, in general, yes, traffic enforcement is under patrol. The I believe the chief had some kind of directive recently that essentially asked for just about everybody on patrol to try to do at least a traffic stop a day or something like that. We didn't report that out. The union folks talked about that. Uh, they had some concern about that being kind of an inefficient decision, but I, I can't say much about that because we didn't report that out for the story. Also, I'm just generally aware of the data on this. The, the city has collected dramatically less traffic ticket revenue over time. 10 or 12 years ago, um, Houston was collecting millions and millions more dollars in, in municipal citation revenue than it is today. The city also used to budget more overtime pay to pay officers to go to municipal court to ensure that the tickets held up at, at municipal court. 
they, they don't do much of that anymore. And so more tickets get dismissed, fewer tickets get written, they, that, that sort of trend. My general sense is that the effort to try to hold response times down, to try to um, keep it within the uh, the goals that they, they set has also resulted in less traffic enforcement and more, you know, answering calls. So now that we've gotten the averages and we've understood what's happening with response times, let's dig into certain areas of our city. Are certain areas experiencing slower response times than others? Yes. And it's not, um, you know, listeners to this podcast have probably run across the kind of Houston Arrow conversation before the um, mostly west side and then northwest, southwest um, parts of the city that are primarily white, primarily affluent, that tend to have better outcomes and uh, fewer environmental risks and higher incomes and all that stuff. It's not that clean a story in this case, um, which, uh, you know, frankly, is good news. There, there are low income parts of the city that struggle to receive good service in other ways that uh, do get a prompt response for police uh, calls like the, uh, the, the north side of Houston, uh, kind of between 45 and 59, sort of that, that gets pretty solid responses. There's a police station in Greens Point, which is a, a low income area. Um, so they get prompt responses there because there's folks stationed there partly, I would, I would assume. And um, most of the areas around downtown get pretty prompt response. Um, but in general, the fringes of the city, um, right, the, the police beats along the edges of the city get, get slower responses. But the, when we analyze the numbers, the main outlier, though, is like in general, beats that get a lot of calls get a slightly faster response, which indicates that typically when HPD knows they're going to get a lot of calls in a certain area, they're able to staff effectively to, to meet the need. The main exception to that trend was South Houston, Sunnyside, South Union, Brookhaven. There are a couple of police beats there that are really busy and, and also slower than than the average beat and, and responses. And that's that's true for priority one. And it just gets worse as you go down the, the priority list. People are tied up on a lot of priority one calls. They don't get to the priority two calls. They definitely don't get to the priority three call, calls promptly. Why aren't there more you know patrol units uh, on the south side? I didn't get a satisfying answer to that question. And I, and I did talk to the department about it. And it, you know it's not like it was a... Um, contentious conversation. I just laid out the data and I was like, what do we do about this? They said, we, you know, we staff based on data, including call volumes and response times and other factors like, uh, you know, the geographic layout and population density and things like that at rates of violent crime, which are also high in the, in the Southeast division. We pulled 20 years of data on the big overarching stuff and we analyzed 10 plus years of data on the on the beat level. You know, this is a consistency analysis. It's not just like we pulled stuff from last year and said, hey, you, you didn't do so great last year on this. And, um, you know, they, they said that they would assign a disproportionate share of newly graduated cadets to the Southeast Division. But they stressed that, you know, they hear the, the same feedback in all all of the areas that they patrol, essentially, and, you know, that other divisions also have also have needs. So um, I, I didn't get 
a, a super satisfying answer to, well, it doesn't this suggest that the Southeast should get more folks? You know, one thing in the story that really stood out to me was the reminder that HPD is a political organization in the sense that if you wanted to move more cops from one area to another, you are taking away from a council member's district, right? And that becomes contentious. Uh, it also goes to the mayor pointing out things like, hey, you know, we were going to get more cops. We're going to raise a little bit more money for this and make sure that we can add more cops. And that hasn't happened. Where does the political side of all this fix it? Or where does the political side of all this work into the solutions? Where it works into the solutions is an interesting question. Sure, if, if you assigned... Um, if you if you hired significantly more officers, response times would come down. It's it's not as if those aren't linked, right? Um, mm -hmm. So the political question is really a funding question, which is a taxation question, right? So if uh, if the public wanted more officers, uh, presumably mostly for response times and also you know the rate at which crimes are solved, then they would have to vote on it essentially, because um, I, I, <laughs> I can get as far down in the weeds as you want on this, but basically the, mm -hmm. the, the, the city of Houston faces an annual limit on the amount of property taxes it can collect. Why does that matter? Because the police department is funded almost entirely by the general fund, which is fed mostly by property taxes and sales taxes, which we, we can't increase that rate regardless. So whatever people buy, we get the money. Property taxes, we are capped essentially. Uh, voters approved that 20 years ago and voters would have to act again now that we've quote unquote hit the cap. Voters would have to act again to say, uh, yeah, you can take in more revenue. In other words, you don't have to cut the tax rate every year. Uh, and we, we want you to use that money to hire more officers. So gotcha. the only way to do it without a vote would be to cut probably significantly from other departments that are funded from the general fund. But it's not a ton of places to go for that because the fire department uh, also is, is struggling with, with staffing and responses. Solid waste department is having trouble picking up recycling on time. So I guess you go to parks and libraries, but those are uh, a tiny fraction of the billion dollar police budget. And that's a, yeah, it's a lot to digest there. A lot of different issues at work. I want to ask you about one thing in the Southeast side that is kind of controversial and is actually increasing the response time, right? The shot spotter. What is shot spotter and how is that playing into the slow response time? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So like I said, our, the overall um, response time story, we pulled, you know, a, a decade's worth of down in the weeds data to show that consistently the southeast side has has had uh, disproportionately slow responses despite having a high volume of calls and that the department usually you know staffs effectively for that elsewhere but has struggled on that on the southeast side shot spotter has added to that since 2020 basically i think it was the fall of 2020 it's essentially other other cities have used it some have kept it. Some have felt that it was ineffective um, and gotten rid of it. The um, essentially, it's a it's a technology. There are, for lack of a better word, microphones mounted on 
probably utility poles, I guess, in kind of uh, specific areas. And they pick up what they believe is the sound of gunfire. The theory being that folks don't always call 911 when they hear a shot because they don't know the nature of the situation. Um, and this alerts the police that a shot has been fired or shots have been fired. Um, uh, but most of the time when officers get there, it doesn't even result in a report. They can't, um, can't verify the shot or they, they don't find anyone. They don't find any evidence. They don't find any shell casings. The, the, uh, the department and the union, I, I believe, are generally supportive of it because um, they feel that, you know, they, they can cite uh, a small number of times when they found a gunshot victim. And they were able to help them promptly, and maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but um, advocates are obviously concerned about the effect on response times, because if somebody does call in a gunshot, not all of those are treated as priority one, right? But shot spotter mm -hmm. alerts are. And so it's essentially, crit critics say that that the Houston police and, and other departments that use this technology are kind of blindly following this new shiny tool instead of really assessing what they ought to be doing or or uh, how they ought to be using it. And so, you know, there are folks in the neighborhood there who are not thrilled about officers responding to this automated technology to have an even greater presence in their in their neighborhood. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that angle, the community relations point, right? When cops are just constantly coming to your neighborhood because of this technology that just adds another layer um, to the problem. Okay, final thing. We've been putting the ball in HPD's court. Is there anything citizens can do to help with response times in terms of not calling certain issues in or anything like that? Yeah, great question. I mean, the main the main thing that I can think of, I guess there's, um, uh, there's two things. Um, we didn't report out one of them for this story, but it's I, I know it to generally be true that police uh, community affairs groups and whatnot will go around parking lots and put little pieces of paper under under people's windshield wipers, giving them a grade for how they've secured their their car. And, and what I mean by that is smash and grab car burglaries are incredibly common and generate tons of calls. Uh, and, and most people don't know any number other to, to call other than 911. But those can be preventable. They're not all preventable. But if you leave your laptop on the seat, somebody is more likely to break in and take it than if you hit it under the seat where it, where it is not visible from outside the car. So there's basic stuff like that, that if everybody in the whole city was diligent about all the time, that would that would reduce the call volume, right? But the main the main way is the the police department has a, a forum that you can use online to report various types of crimes. Um, not place a 911 call. Uh, you can do it automatically, you know, or um, in the in the online forum. There are exceptions, which I talked to some advocates who were frustrated by that. They feel like the department should really lean into that and have a better online platform uh, and accept more types of crimes. Uh, because often, if it's property crime, even if it's an important property crime, somebody steals your car, and now you don't have a car. How are you going to get to work? You know, that's not an unimportant crime. But 
the the form, the online form does not accept car thefts. It doesn't accept vehicle related quote unquote reports on there. So that in particular, I, I was kind of surprised by that. And I tried to clarify with the department. I was like, well, if somebody breaks a window and takes something out of a car, they couldn't, that's basically just a car burglary slash theft. Can't you report that online, even though it's vehicle related? And they said, no, it's vehicle related. You can't report that online. Mm-hmm. So um, that can work for some things. It can't work for everything, at least not right now. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Tremendous reporting, really impactful stuff here. And we've linked it in our show notes for everyone to read. Thank you again for joining us on CityCast Houston, Mike. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. That was Mike Morris. You can read all of his work at cron.com or with the link in our show notes. Before we go, there's a lot to complain about with the construction at Bush Airport, but we have to put it in perspective because IAH was named the sixth best airport in the world by Cabin Crew HQ. Yes, you heard me right, in the world. The study took a ton of factors into account like average on-time flights, most economical parking, variety of restaurants and stores inside the airport, and so many other things. So for the 41 million people that travel through Bush Airport, I don't want to hear too much complaining, and that's myself included. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. Investigation on the factors that are impacting slower response times 